Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Serzosimo, and today you are listening on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? And do you believe that Roger Federer has made his return officially to tennis? And boy, was it a good one. Today, we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about Doha. We're going to talk about Marcel. We're going to talk about uh, Dubai's coming up. And a couple, you know, there's a little love life going on in the ATP Tour. Some breakups, some getting together. We're going to chat a little bit about that. I was surprised by one of them. I'll tell you that. We're going to get to that at the end of this episode. But first, I want to start in Doha. And uh, like I said, Roger Federer is back on the ATP Tour. And I thought he played really well. Um, I think the way he talked about it before and after the match, his expectations were to pretty much just compete. And the fact that he beat Daniel Evans, I think, is a good win for him, especially the way that Daniel Evans has been playing. And I think he was happy with it. The way he sounded, you know, he said his expectations coming in weren't necessarily to win Doha. And I don't think they should have been. And he said, I was just trying to get back into the swing of things. And that's exactly what I did here. So I think he did exactly what he wanted to do in Doha. And the fact that he played two three-set matches was very impressive. His first match was, you know, near two and a half hours. His second match was, you know, the next day or the day after that. But a close rebound. And it was an hour, 50 minutes. And 50, 5-0. And so the way he can play two back-to-back three-set matches and compete hard in them. Now, granted, they weren't against, you know, top 10 players, but he's back competing, and I think that's where he wanted to be, and I think that's why he didn't want to get into the Australian Open early. And this clears a lot of things up for me, the way he played at Doha and the way his mindset was. And when I say clear things up for me, Roland Garros isn't till May 23rd this year. It's currently March, and Wimbledon isn't till June 28th. And so for him to start... In March here, getting going, I think this is exactly why he didn't want to play in the Australian Open. And I say that because there's not a lot of tournaments leading up to the Australian Open and not a lot of time to really get a lot of matches under you before you jump into that first Grand Slam. And I really don't think he wanted to go in that first Grand Slam having a lot of, you know, that's a lot of pressure on top of you're probably not 100%. And he said he hopes to be 100% by the time those Grand Slams come. But that means he's not 100% right now. And so I don't know why he would have jumped in the Australian Open. And that's exactly why he didn't play in the Australian Open is because he probably wasn't ready and he wouldn't have been 100%. And there's not enough time and not enough tournaments leading up to the Australian Open for him to play in those. So I completely agree with his decision to just, you know, play it slow here. He played in Doha. He's not going to play in Dubai. Um, I don't believe he's going to play in Miami, but that's probably still TVD. Or he can't. I feel like I saw that somewhere, but maybe. Who knows about Miami, but then you look at, you know, maybe he plays in Monte Carlo or maybe he plays in Barcelona or maybe he plays in Munich. And then once you get closer to the the French Open, maybe he jumps in Madrid and Rome. But I, I do feel like he might play the clay court season just because clay is better on your knees. And so he's almost going to get, you know, a free month or so there where he's not going to be playing hardcore and that's going to be good for his body a little bit. And it's going to be good for his conditioning. So I don't know why he wouldn't play in the you know the French Open or even in the clay court season. I, I mean, there's one reason he wouldn't play is because he probably won't win it. But his time's running out, so he might as well you know get that under his belt there 
and then maybe not even play the French and get a head start on grass and really shoot for that uh, that Wimbledon title to get to 21 because, you know, Rafa's probably going to get to 21 during the French Open. But overall, I thought his return was really, really good. Um, I thought that he played well. I thought he looked strong. Um, he, you know, there's a couple things that here and there that, you know, he probably could have done better, but I thought he looked strong when he played. His, um, he looked like he was having fun, to be honest. Um, he had people, people said he smiled more when he played and he did, you know, he made a couple mistakes that were due to him being new to tour, which is kind of funny to say because he's been on the tour forever, but you know, he left his towel or whatever, but he, he looked like he was having fun. And then there was moral victories, you know, him, him being able to fight off match points and him being able to come back and him being able to, you know, get a break and him being able to just do everything you know like he was back on the court and he was back being Roger and there were fans there so I think that was a huge huge moral victory for Roger Federer and it was good to see him back on tour and I think the tennis world even thought it was good to see him back on tour there was a tournament I believe in Chile and everybody was watching the Roger match on TV um it was you know professional tennis players sitting in the warm-up area all watching Roger Federer play so when he's back feels like the sport is back and it's really really good to have Roger Federer back in the sport of tennis you know maybe if it's not completely it's at least a little bit let's look back into Doha in this tournament now this tournament was really good I thought um a lot of good players a lot of interesting things happened in this tournament Uh, I I thought Rublev would have a really good chance at winning this tournament but um turns out that you know he struggled a little bit Rublev actually got a buy all the way through this tournament, I believe. And he barely played until he played Batista Agut. Now, Roberto Batista Agut played really well in Doha. And he's kind of been, you know, it seems like going through the motions for so long because he's, you know, he's a big name, but he just hasn't been able to, you know, jump over that hump. And for him to make it to the final, he made it to the final in Doha was very, very impressive. Yeah, Rublev didn't even play... Um, one minute on court until the semis, which I think actually kind of hurt him, to be honest, because then you don't have anything under you and you jump you jump into someone who's been playing great all week. Taylor Fritz making the semis um, was very impressive, I thought. Good for Taylor Fritz. I think he's finally coming into his own here, and he's starting to play really, really good tennis. There was a time there I was kind of nervous he was going to be you know, just another American that not failed, but didn't quite make full potential of themselves. And it looks like he's really dialed it in and got it going. So it's good to see Taylor Fritz. And to be honest, he's probably the face of American tennis right now. I don't think there's anybody else. Maybe Tiafo, but those two young guns are the face of American tennis. And I'm going to say Taylor Fritz is the face of American tennis, unless there's somebody I'm missing. I mean, John Isner's up there, but Taylor Fritz, the way he's playing is very, very good. Now let's get to the real story of what happened in Doha. Nicholas Baslashvili from Georgia, not Georgia, the United States, Georgia, the country, is ranked 36 in the world at age 29. He turned pro in 2008, and he just won Doha. He's the player that beat Roger Federer. This is his fourth career title. His prize money is at $6 million, but this guy kind of came out of nowhere, I think, to win this tournament. He beat Batista Gut. He beat Roger Federer. He beat um, Taylor Fritz. He beat John Million. Now, Basilashvili had a very good tournament, and I was kind of wondering how he would play against Federer. Um, he, obviously, he beat Federer because he made the final, 
but boy, did he ever play so good. Once he got to that round, I mean, he won, he won in the round of 32, 6 2, 6 2, beats Federer in three sets, but, you know, 6 1 and 7 5 in the last two sets, comes through and beats Taylor Fritz in a tiebreaker in the first, then 6 1 in the second, and then beats Batista Gut in a tiebreaker in the first, and 6 2 in the second. So the way the Bass Bash, Bash Lash. Baslashvili played. Sorry, I'm just getting used to this name a lot. I haven't had to say it a whole lot in my, you know, tennis covering career. But the way that he played in this tournament was outstanding. And I think this is just another player jumping onto the scene here in 2021. I think it's really good for him. And to be honest, I think that win over Federer, whether it's Federer at 100% or not, really, really, really gives someone confidence. And that was his confidence he needed to, you know, jump over the hump and eventually win this tournament. Now, speaking of Doha and speaking of people coming onto the scene, we got a couple of Russians that win the doubles title. It is Karatsev and Andrei Rublev. Now, if you remember Karatsev, he made a huge run at the Australian Open. I believe he made the semis there and Karatsev played lights out at the Australian Open. So he just came in here, played some doubles with another guy from Russia, both Russians here that played lights out at the Australian Open and lights out really over the last nine months-ish, and that is Andre Rublev. So the Russians take home the doubles title there. If those two get hot, it's going to be really, 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 really hard to beat them. Um, let's move on to a tournament where one of my favorite players won it, another ATP 250, Marcial. Um, I post on Twitter who I thought was going to make the semis on this because last time it was the quarterfinals. And here's who was in the quarterfinals. It was Daniil Medvedev versus Yannick Sinner. It was Hachinov versus Ebden. It was Rinderneck versus Humpert, Hugo Humpert. It was Herbert versus Sitsipas. And I said Sitsipas would make it. Uh, Rinderneck would make it, I believe. And then I said Hachinov and Medvedev. Here's who actually made it. Medvedev ended up being Sinner. Ebden, who is a qualifier, ended up making it to the semis. Humpert played Herbert. Now, Herbert... If you remember, Herbert's been on the tour for a while. He's turned pro in 2010. He's got a really unique game. Um, he's from France. He plays a lot of doubles with Nicholas Mahout, but he's got a really unique game the way he plays. He actually, uh, his name, his full name is Pierre Hugus Herbert. Now, um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but sorry, Pierre, but that's, I'm sure it's some French accent on that, but Herbert um, really came onto the scene there 2010, 2011, 2012 as a youngster, and he's only been gotten better. And so he ended up making the final against Daniil Medvedev, but Daniil Medvedev was too much in three sets and would win that one. But Herbert actually beat Tsitsipas in a really good match. And so um, I think that's a big win for him. It's a three-set match. He was down the first set, came back and won the last two. But once again, Daniil Medvedev, Wins an ATP title. It's an ATP 250, but an ATP title nonetheless. That is his 10th title, and it is good to see Herbert kind of back in the swing of things because he struggled there for a bit, but for him to be back in the realm of singles, he's been in the realm of doubles for a while, but him to be back in the realm of, realm of singles is very impressive. Now let's look forward to Dubai. Dubai tournament is coming up here real soon. Dubai's an ATP 250. It actually starts on the 14th of March, which is going to be right around when this podcast drops. But let's look at the seeds. Um, top seed is Dominic Thiem. Uh, two seed is Rublev. 
And I'll just rattle off some of the other names that are going to be good to watch in this tournament. You're going to look at Chapo, uh, David Goffin. You're going to look at Alex De Manure, who I'm also going to talk about here in a second. Paparin, who's played a really good 2021. Hachinov, uh, Daniel Evans, Karatsev. Um, you're going to see Nishioka, Pospisil, and Sanga, Taylor Fritz, um, that Basilashvili. So that'll be someone else to watch. But uh, there's a good tournament, obviously, in Dubai. Would have been really good if you know a top three player could have been in there. But uh, Dubai is always good to watch, and it's an ATP 250 as well. One more thing about Daniil Medvedev. Daniil Medvedev just moved up to number two in the world. That's a feature that has been held by the big three for a long time, if not maybe touched in there with Dominic Team. But I believe he might be the first one to crack that big two or the number two spot in the world in a really, really long time. It's probably been a big three member. I'll... I'll set that more in stone on next week's podcast, but that kind of just came out just before this week's podcast. Let's also talk about Roger Federer. I saw something on Instagram. Last thing about Roger Federer, this account called Simon Strings, um, which he, I don't think he's the founder of these things, but he he seems like he strings a lot of rackets and has a lot to do with the sport of tennis. He put on Instagram, um, it's amazing to see Roger back today. He He's using these string savers, and he has a post about it. And you can zoom in and see there's something on his strings. Now, what he says they are is they're small plastic pieces that sit between the main and cross strings where they meet. Now, Roger Federer, he says, uses all-natural gut, but a hybrid um, of that between the mains and the Luxalon. Um, and in the crosses, he puts this thing called string savers um i guess djokovic kind of uses something similar i don't know about the string savers but the natural gut what they're for is they prolong the life of your strings by eliminating or reducing the friction um of them where you normally you know where they slide and you know dissipate each other or whatever um or a lot of friction there um but they also allow the strings to move more freely over one another that impact more snap back and you know some spin potential very interesting i've never heard of anything like this um he's got some really good pictures on it if you want to look up string savers i highly recommend it i guess they're by wilson so um the package looks like they're by wilson looks like they have a picture of roger federer on it very interesting i've never heard of anything like this so string savers is maybe something to look into i don't know much about them i'm definitely going to try to look into them but they seem like, you know, a small part of the sport, but a part of the sport that might be evolving, and that's putting things on your strings. Last thing here, I want to talk about some emerging couples in the sport of tennis. Katie Bolter, who is the Great Britain, the English native, she is dating Alex De Manure. Now, I did not see this coming until they posted it. I had no idea. Katie Bolter used to date, she's on the tour, she used to date um, Jack Sock back in the day, but I did not know Alex De Manure and her were together until they post on Instagram, they're like, happy one year. And I was like, one year? Y'all never post together. So maybe I missed something or what, but that's a couple to watch on the ATP Tour now. That's an ATP Tour couple um, and an ATP ATP Tour couple that is no longer together is obviously Gem's life. I don't know if I've said that in prior um, podcast, but uh, Guy Almanfis and Alina Svitolina have separated. So I hate to end this podcast on a sad note, 
but that's what is happening. Dubai is next on the ATP Tour. There are some good tournaments coming up here in the next week or so, next couple weeks, next month. Um, we're looking at, you know, Dubai, Indian Wells is postponed, Acapulco, which is actually starting this week as well. And then as of now, Miami is not too far away. March 24th to April 4th, Miami is just around the corner. So everybody's about to make that trip halfway around the world and enjoy some Florida sun. Thanks for listening today. You can reach out to me at Jacob Sersosimo. You can reach out to the Believe Podcast Network at Believe.com or at Believe Podcast, both on Instagram and Twitter. I appreciate you listening today. Stay safe. Be safe out there. Watch a lot of tennis. There's a lot of interesting things going on. And before you know it, the big three will be back on the court, and they'll be more exciting than ever. Appreciate the listen. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.